appreciate you guys being here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start us off with a prayer, and then uh, we'll jump into it, okay? So if you guys would, let's pray together. Uh, Father, I want to come to you uh, today and just uh, praise you for your greatness. Um, Father, you've done amazing things uh, in my life and in Ashley's life and just within our ministry. Uh, it's pretty amazing uh, what you've been able to accomplish uh, through just a willing heart uh, and, in a sense, also a, uh, a hurt heart uh, and a um, heart that's always tried to uh, seek you out but uh, has struggled consistently along the way. Father, that's kind of the... Uh, the whole theme of the Gospels is that you're you're always right there beside us if we're willing to listen to you and we're willing to focus on you. So, Father, as we uh, get ready to look at what your scripture says about um, uh, leading an evangelistic ministry, a youth ministry, Father, help us to be open to the ideas of changing things around and switching it up uh, to be able to better suit uh, the kids around us, Father, and be able to reach those lost. Father, again, uh, praise you for the workshop. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here this year. We praise your son's name. Amen. Well, uh, my name is RJ Catazon. This is my wife, Ashley Catazon, if you guys don't know who we are. Uh, we are the youth leaders for the Crossings Church uh, just outside of St. Louis in Wentzville. Uh, we've worked with the youth ministry for, I guess, going on 13 years. Uh, she's my statistics uh, secretary. She knows all the dates and the numbers and all that stuff, so... Yeah, I guess going on 13 years. Um, it's quite opposite than anything that I thought that I was going to be doing uh, as I got older, definitely. Um, I grew up unchurched. I never went to church in a way that I cared about actually learning something and changing and doing something different. I went there because I was told to go there. Uh, so throughout my high school years, uh, it was very, uh, very much, I was very much part of the world. Uh, <clears throat> Didn't have a lot of guidance, dove into a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have uh, in my high school years, uh, which I think ultimately led me to wanting something different and wanting something more. Um, so it was shortly after my senior year that I uh, found a relationship with God, and we'll kind of get more into that uh, maybe throughout the lesson. But as I found that relationship with God, I realized uh, in my youth I wish I had an opportunity to have what I have now. I wish I had the opportunity to be able to uh, know what it meant to have an authentic relationship with God rather than a faith one, what, rather than a surface one, rather than one that was just a, uh, a couple day a week kind of thing, couple hours uh, that day kind of thing, something that was actually genuine. And, and I felt the call to be able to uh, maybe do some of that work in the youth ministry. So whenever we went on, when we decided to go on our church plant, <clears throat> I kind of had that compelling factor and that calling from God that man, maybe this is something where he would want me to help serve, uh, which kind of led me to where I'm at now. Uh, and uh, praise God that uh, that happened for me because uh, like some of you out there, probably I probably would have been in a horrible position in my life as a husband, as a father, uh, if I were to even still be a husband or had the opportunity to, have, to be a father. So... Praise God that he was able to work through me, and I'm able to be where I'm at now. Um, for me, I uh, grew up much different than RJ in that I was raised um, in church there all the time. And it wasn't just a Sunday, Wednesday thing. It was, you know, an everyday of our lives um, thing. And um, I, I guess what pulled me... I guess what pulled me the most was high school for me 
was I loved high school. I loved being around people. I liked the social. I didn't like the homework part. I loved the social aspects of it. Um, but I also had, well, it was one of the best times of my life. It was also one of the most difficult times of my life. Um, and, and most difficult times in my um, walk with God was in high school. It was when you get to that point, and you guys know if you have teenagers or you worked with them at all, they hit that point in high school where they're becoming very independent in their minds, and they're starting to develop their, as they should, their own faith. And Satan really attacks that age because I think he knows if he can get them right there as they're getting ready to walk into the rest of their lives, you know that he can, if he can break them before he's gonna, he's gonna stop something great from happening, um, and God using them. So I guess um, whenever I graduated, I did campus ministry for a little bit and um, loved it. And then we were, like RJ said, we were getting ready to send out a church plant. Um, and the idea of youth ministry came up, and I knew immediately that that's just, that's just what I wanted to do. Um, I loved my friends in high school, and I didn't get to see a lot of them saved. I saw some of them saved, but not a lot. And if I could have a chance of helping kids get on the right track before things really got going, you know, I could help them avoid so much heartache that God could use me in some way. Um, so that's what, that's what pulled me towards youth ministry. Um, with that being said, um, we had to start somewhere and there was about 35 of us that went out on the church plant and of which were how many? Three? Three high schoolers, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and a few, <laughs> All boys. A, a handful of, you know, junior hires as well, a small handful <clears throat> of junior hires. So uh, when we started the youth ministry, that was kind of the the crop, I guess you would say, that we had to work with, the pool that we were working with. And I ain't going to lie, guys. I mean, when I started as the youth minister, with, I was 19. I was almost 20. So uh, pretty young, um, very clueless, very uh, unknowledgeable, uh, very just unwise, I guess, in the scriptures, I guess you would sense the depth of that. But I had the desire to want to do what God wanted me to do, and I think God was able to bless that and work through me whenever you had that kind of, whenever I had that kind of mentality. As the same, it'll be for you, uh, if you choose or if you're currently serving in the youth ministry. God will always be able to bless and work with your willing hearts, and that's where it has to begin. But we started off small, um, yeah. and and we were a blended <laughs> mixture of failure and success, and trial and error. Probably more failure. Lots of failure. Okay, maybe not blended. Yeah, maybe we may have been. I don't know. Um, lots of ups and downs. Um, yeah, lots of great times and lots of heartbreaking times. Uh, there's a well-known statistic, and you guys have probably heard it. I brought this up in my class about um, raising children the other day. That says that 80% of kids walk out of the church by the time they graduate high school. And I mentioned this the other day in our class, and, I, and as I was reading the comment threads, it kind of said, well, 30% tend to come back, or no, it's more like 75%. And there was like these arguments underneath it, and I'm like thinking, okay, so at best, at best, 50% walk out. We're losing half, you know, at the best, and we want to justify that somehow. Um, so there's something that we've, somewhere along the line, we're going wrong with, with teens and with um, our relationship with God today. Um, and some of the things like that we have seen that we messed like up at and just yeah. downfalls, you know, creating, I think, faithful, reproducing young disciples um, come up in different ways. Um, you know, looking at the looking even within the churches, you know, over the 13 years that we've worked with the youth ministry, you can look at a lot of different youth ministries out there and be able to see a lot of the things maybe that we would we would look at and be like, man, that's not. That's maybe something that wouldn't be the greatest thing to do. Some of those downfalls. When I look at some of those youth ministries, I think within the church, uh, you see a lot of youth ministries that are very unattractive to the youth. 
I mean, we are in the 21st century, and it seems like uh, the churches can be stuck in the 20th century, so we're so behind the times, unenthusiastic. There's nothing to attract the teens to. There's nothing to attract the youth to. And I think that that's a huge downfall because you guys you guys know how it is. If you're interested in something, you're all in. If it, if it seems to be unappealing to you and it seems to be something that you could care less about, you are never wanting to be involved in that. So we have to be attractive, not just with fun and activities, but with also love and compassion and kindness and generosity and serving and all those things. But we've got to get away from that downfall of being that unattractive youth ministry that none of the lost people want to come to. Yeah, I think we get stuck in that, uh, you know, like, well, this is how it's always been done. And I think that is one of the downfalls, <clears throat> quote unquote, you know, so it's always been done. Um I think there's a, I know there's a reason that Paul wrote, you know, to the Jews, I became a Jew, to the Gentiles, a Gentile, I've done so that I can be all things to all men. Um, and I don't think that truth changes today when it comes to the way we have to kind of evolve. Now, I'm not ever saying, well, God's truth is never, never changing, it's resolute. The world does change and it evolves and kids are evolving with it. You guys know that because when we were in high school, it wasn't the same. So yeah. there has to be an appeal to bring kids in. Um, but also, along with that, something else that we've noticed is, that um, I think teenagers and youth ministries and youth ministers have created very um, entitled youth ministries, very entitled mindsets within our within our kids. Um, where I think that comes from is is we've gotten so caught up sometimes in feeding the kids. Here, go to you know, here's this for you, this for you, this for you. Always giving them what they need, right? As far as just personally in their relationship with God, and we haven't really taught them. I think to be grateful for the one who's really given it to them and to remember that if it wasn't for God, they never would have had this kind of life. You know, if it wasn't for, so when they get, so when they get, you know, moving on with life, they think for some reason they're owed everything, you know, like God hands it to you and that's how it goes. And that's not how relationship with God is. And I think that's something we've lost along the way. Um, a sense of entitlement, you know, to kids. Um, and, and guys, that's look at who we're. If you're if you're trying to achieve a great youth ministry, who are the people that you're trying to to get after, and who are the people you're trying to be attractive to, and who are the people you're trying to engage with? It's the youth. It's the millennials. They. That's a huge problem right now with any kind of statistic, not just on the church base or religious base, to where our youth is very entitled and very ungrateful for the things they've been given. Think that they des- deserve everything, and and when you see in scriptures, that is completely opposite to what God wants us to have—the complete opposite kind of attitude. But yet, we kind of we we are helping to instill that in our ministries and in our kids. That's backwards mindset. That's not that's not progressive in, in getting our kids to learn anything different. We have to be able to get away from that downfall of ingratitude and entitlement. And another thing, you know, I think that looking at the ministries, uh, you know, youth ministry, sometimes we tend to uh, uh, teach our kids uh, to be unequipped. They're not even ready to deal with what life has to throw at them. I think of the passage, it's in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and it's talking about the Word of God and what it's useful for. And at the end of those four things that the Word of God is useful for, it says, why do we have those things? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Man, I love that passage because it's like if you go into it trying to obtain these things, teaching, correcting, or teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, it's like those are the things, those are the basis, the things that we could teach our kids so that as life occurs, they know how to deal with it. 
that they're not the ones after high school running off and thinking that the relationship is going to heal it. The boyfriend, the girlfriend is going to heal the, the problems or the job or the right kind of money or the or the drugs or, or you fill in the blank or the work is not going to heal it. It's actually going to be the word of God. We have to make sure that we're actually equipping our kids. So we kind of just asked ourselves, like, how do we do better? You know, like, when I think like 80% of our kids being lost for an eternity, like, as a mom and as a person who loves teenagers, it's not, it's just not okay. And while I realized from doing youth ministry for 13 years that some of that is inevitable, and we'll get that to, like, I understand that concept. That does not mean that we should not be really digging in and trying to do something different or better. So um, just some things we want to talk about. How do we equip today's youth for a lifetime of ministry? How do we counteract that? How do we counteract some of those downfalls to be able to have that evangelistic growing youth ministry? And the first thing that we think is great to start with is you got to give them a vision. You have to give them a vision. You know, without vision, it's like there's no direction for the kids to go. Uh, kids need to know their potential. They need to know what their potential is. Sometimes like growing up, I felt like there was, I felt like I had no, uh, it, there was no expectation of what I was to become. It was just live life, try to pay your bills, go to work all the time, and maybe have a family, and then I guess you're just going to die. That was kind of the mentality. But there's way more than that. God has great potential for all, the, for all of the kids, but you've got to let them know that. You let them know that through a vision. Uh, coming up in the campus ministry, Carrie uh, was my mentor in a sense. He was my cell leader is what we call it back at our church. He was my group leader. And one of the things that Carrie was always, always did really well with was casting that vision. And that gave that me a goal to strive for. If you're not giving it at the kids, what are you doing? You're, you got everybody wandering around in, in all kinds of different directions. Listen to what Helen Keller says. She says, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but has no vision. Clear difference. To be able to see something but not know where you're going, that's pathetic, says the blind, deaf, mute. So here we are, can hear God's word. We can see God's word available and active in our lives, but we don't know where he's wanting us to go. That's your role as a youth minister, not just as a youth minister, though. That's your role as a disciple of Christ to be able to cast vision, to let someone know and to let the youth know that there's more than just what the world is telling them to become. There's a lot more to that. You do that through casting a vision. Yeah, I think boys do that. When I was growing up, we had um, a vision statement, and it was huge, and it was printed, and it was up on the wall of our church. Something as simple as me going in and sitting down every Sunday, you know, and every Wednesday, looking up at that wall and being like, okay, we're to be a church of great diversity, built and maintained. I mean, to this day, you know, built and maintained. There's a longer <clears throat> emphasis. Like, and, and it went through my head over and over again. And I looked at that, and it was so clear that that's what, that's, that's what God wanted, and that's what this, the church I was a part of wanted for me to be a part of in his kingdom. Um, I think sometimes within the church, our vision is just bleak. When I went to, you know, a lot of kids that I went to church camp with, um, it was, well, here's the vision. We go to church on Sunday, and we go to church on Wednesday, and we take communion, and we know the songs, and we don't do bad things. Like, that was kind of it, you know? And honestly, that's why I'm, that's not much of a vision to buy into, because that gets old after a while, and it's not God's vision for the church. That's not all that he wants of us. 
You know, he has something great, like Arjo was saying, planned for us. So look at your youth ministry. What is the vision you're setting before those kids? Is that what you're teaching them as a vision? Or are you saying, no, you're meant to go out and you're meant to change the world. You are meant to go out and not just be a good kid, but the kind of kid that draws other lost souls in and you save lives. What is your vision? And look at your church's vision. And look at that and say, is this something that is is appealing, is attractive? Is this in line with what God wants? And that leads to the next thing. After you cast that vision, it's, it's extremely important to call them to a commitment. Once they know what God wants for them, once they know the potential that they have, through the power of God, you got to call them to a high commitment. Whatever we at our at, at the church, we go through a, a course of studies to where we let somebody know, hey, this is what this is what it means to seek God out. This is what it means to have the Word of God and so forth and discipleship. And we talk about various different things, all to the to the uh, to the point to where they need to choose whether or not they want to sacrifice their life and die to themselves and become a follower of God. Whenever you do that, you're constantly preaching the commitment that it takes to become that disciple. And we don't water that down with our kids. Just because they're young does not mean that they don't get it. And even with my kids, I mean my little kids, Not when I say kids, sometimes I'm talking, that's, that's a, uh, a relative yeah, relative term, you know, because... Jimmy, uh, are you my kid? Right? There's no way I had Jimmy. You know, I called him. I called him. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not through me. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's relative. But when I'm talking, even with my kids, I try not to water things down with my, my children, even in their six, eight, and nine. Because I don't think that God wants you to do that. I think you, if you set that standard high with that high commitment, that's going to set the pace for the rest of their walk with God. If you think make things just a la-di-da and anybody can just show up and you can just become a Christian, it doesn't matter. I mean, sure, you get baptized and you, and you go into the water and you die to yourself, but you don't know the commitment that you've, that you've uh, taught. That, that makes no sense. So we, whenever we're studying the Bible with somebody, you know, uh, it was told to me that you're almost in a sense trying to scare them out of it you know kind of you're talking them out of it I mean we are dealing with fickle teens you know where the greatest thing can be you know coming up then then three months later it's like it's not important at all that's that that fickle mentality but uh, when you look in the scriptures it's not that way at all to obey God and to follow God he talks about he talks about dying to yourself he talks about leaving everything that you have behind and follow him, selling everything that you have and giving to him. That's what the word of God says. And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Yeah, it says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Um, when I look at that, it reminds me of a teenager's response. You know, they're like, okay, God wants you to have this and this. And they're like, great, let's do it. You know, like, they're so, like RJ was saying, they're so feelings-based. And sometimes, you know, like in some ways that's cool because there's just this ignorant bliss to it. <laughs> um, but then again, I love like the response that Jesus gives his disciples. He's like, hold on. Like, I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. You know, so I think with a lot of teenagers today, we get, sometimes we get on this opposite end of the spectrum where it's all hype, it's all feelings, come and, and praise God and, 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 you know, did these worship hours and it's all, you know, it's all almost glamorous looking sometimes. 
and there's no meat to it. There's no truth to it. And so they walk out thinking it's just going to be this stroll in the park. And Jesus is like, you're not even going to have a place to lay your head. And I think what has happened to teenagers a lot in youth ministries and what I was weak at in the beginning was I kind of was just their friend, you know, in some ways. And I didn't really show them the cost. And so whenever a cost really came about in their life, and then Satan really attacked and life really happened, they were like, that's not what I bar- that's not what I bargained for. You know, and so they don't they don't want much to do with it. Um, so don't don't don't, don't play games with them and don't water down commitment. Don't water it down at all. Um, that goes into the third thing we, we believe is important is build deep relationships. Um, we were reading something the other day and it actually didn't surprise me. I think the number did. But the concept didn't. So it said that like 70, okay, so kids today, 70% of their time, like, is invested on their cell phones. Social media, pictures, you know, whatever. 70% of their time. Um, just doing that. I, I just got my, yeah, I had a pager in high school, and I thought I was like super, super cool. Because it was not the big one, it was the new small one. Um, but... You know, so I'm like, what the thorns? Um, but now, like, I get it because we all have these cell phones, right? And even I have to, like, watch myself. So, you know, 70%. And then I have to sit back and think, man, why are they filling? What are they trying to fill? Like, they're using that time because they're trying to fill something, some kind of void. And that is where us, God wants to use us as youth ministers and as friends and as disciples to step in and show them that they can fill this void in their life with something very different and use it to be productive instead of just to pass time away, you know, in their life. And that requires, when we build relationships, listen, if you're doing youth ministry, it cannot be, if you want an effective youth ministry, it cannot just be a Sunday, Wednesday time. That cannot be all there is to it. Having deep relationships looks a lot different um, in our home, and I was fortunate enough to be raised like this, um, so it was kind of second nature to me. Um, people were always at my house. I, I kind of got that. Um, but when you bring people in your home and when you build relationships, it requires you getting your hands dirty because relationships require vulnerability, right? And and giving your heart to imperfect humans, I feel like you just without question are at risk of damaging your heart and your very soul. Um, but you do it anyway, and I want to read why. I have a, I had some of the teenagers, I sent a, just a few of them, a message, and I said, hey, like, we're getting ready to do this lesson. Can you type up something for me? Um, tell me maybe what was hard for you in high school, what got you through it, how the youth ministry might have helped, and whatnot. And uh, just to kind of help us kind of get some idea and maybe to remember things we missed that we could pass on to you guys. And this is one of the things that I got from one of our girls. <clears throat> she says, teenagers are self-absorbed in nature. And unfortunately for church kids, the story is the same and sometimes even deeper. I think what I can look back on to my youth leaders is that their life and actions were not self-seeking, and they taught us the same. There were big moments like working on mission trips in New York or New Orleans where we would take work long, hard hours alongside of them. But I guess a lot of the reasons I stuck around were in the more seemingly mundane moments. RJ and Ashley would have, had, would have many teenagers over for cell, cross-chat, and any day in between. I can remember many times when I would go there and the house was filled with people. And on top of that, whenever we would go there, they always had food. I don't know how they fed us all those years. I guess with a lot of rice. It's because RJ's Asian. <laughs> and it's cheap. It's cheap. It's cheap. And it's true. But aside from that, there was always a servant's attitude. There's no time that I, w- I felt unloved or un- unwelcomed, and that was so crucial. Many of the teenagers that would be there came from homes where the parents are supposed to love and take care of you, but they did not. 
where there was brokenness, they gave us all kids these feelings. They gave kids feelings of unloved and worthlessness. But then there were these people who weren't family but quickly became it because of the genuine love given. I think I took that for granted many times, and unfortunately many of the teens did too. But I guess now that I'm a bit more mature, I can see the sacrifices there. That love helped me stay when my heart was unwavering. Um, and she goes down through it, and she just talks about memory, kind of like memory after memory. Um, and that that is that is what our house looks like. Um, you know, on a weekend or any, we work. We are blessed to work with a, a set of other youth leaders who all volunteer. Um, we have three different high school. Um, Small I guess we're going for yeah, small groups and cross chats that go on, and RJ and I oversee those. And at almost any number of time, I mean, a couple of them are in here. Jen and Evan are in here. If you go to their house on the weekend, I almost guarantee you there's going to be teenagers there, always. And I mean, all the time. <laughs> um, and even in our homes, we've had you know, right now we have a girl living with us who comes from a really rough um, home life, and you know, doesn't have much. And she's, she's been living with us for about a year now. We have um, guardianship, and that's not the first time, um, even in this crowd here. Like, I don't know, maybe if you've lived with us for a while, <laughs> raise your hand. Um, you know, we, this is how it's been, where it's kind of been become a place of refuge for kids, you know, that needed, that needed God's love. Yeah. And I... Th- <laughs> you want to nope. struggle through the tears? No. I- I think of, you know, of the both of us, Ashley's probably definitely the way more relational. Uh, I guess, I don't know, naturally, but uh, she tends to be a lot more relational than I do. It's not natural. I struggle with that. But I think think if you want to be able to have a great and amazing youth ministry that God is able to work through, you have to make sure that you are building relationships. You have nobody's ear if they feel that you don't care about them, period. Um, If you don't let them into your life, you will not be effective with them, period. And that's constantly, constantly the truth that you hear throughout the Word of God all the time. You have to have authentic relationships. The only way you do that is by letting people see and letting the youth see the flaws that you have, but also the qualities that you have. Um, You know, a even even in, in here in the room, you know, uh, some of my closest friends now are the kids who've come up through my youth ministry. And I never thought that would happen. Never, never thought that I, that would happen because it, it went from a, in a sense, where these young kids are strictly, I, I don't know, strictly, you, you know, looking at you from an adult, you know, youth, adult perspective and then over the course of a few years that changes and then they're in college and then they're maybe starting their own family or getting married or having kids and it's like almost like a peer to peer relationship then uh and man i'm so fortunate and blessed to have been able to have that and i attribute a lot of that success that we have in our ministry to the relational aspects of it i think too it's not just like now i can talk um, there's great memories, you know, memories um, where, you know, we got to take, we usually will try and take one per kid with us on vacation, on our family vacations. Um, we took we took Jimmy one year. Jimmy never got to see the ocean before. You know, and one of my all-time favorite youth ministry stories was watching him come up over the side of this hill thing and for the first time setting his eyes on one of God's most beautiful creations. You know, and just he was in all of it. You know, and I got to have a hand in showing him 
the beauty of God in more ways than just the ocean, but in family and in love. And I think there are those, I don't know, I'm never this emotional. I think, um, <laughs> rarely am I this emotional. Um, there's beautiful moments like that. I mean, even little things, watching them. They, my kids, on the way, on the way here today, um, Malachi was in the car. We were just driving from lunch, and Malachi was like, "Hey, mom." We were watching it. Yeah, we were. Aaron sent me a like a testimony thing. We were watching it, and, and it, my, Malachi, my oldest son, goes, "Hey, mom, Aaron's my brother, right?" And this, this is Aaron. I don't know if you can see the family resemblance or not. <laughs> there's our, there's Malachi. There's Malachi. <laughs> a bit of a contrast. And, and I mean, very sincerely, he's my brother, right? And I said, "Do you feel like he's your brother, Malachi?" And he said, well, yeah. I said, why? Because he, he loves us like a brother. He he loves us like he shows us about God. You know, he, and I was like, He's your, he is your brother. And I said, because it doesn't take blood to be a brother, does it? And he said, nope. You know, and all my kids. Um, my relationship with God is benefited. My kids are benefited from investing day to day in those things. And sometimes they're as beautiful as moments like that. And other times they're as Ugly as me getting into it with Boston in the backyard. <laughs> I mean, getting into it. Me and Boston are very alike in our temperament. So oh, when man. we get along, it is like we're all together. But if we cross, man, we can butt heads. You know, so it is. But those are the times, too, that are very defining. Where it's like we could fight through that stuff, and yet... You, I like love. I like I love you deeply. You know what I mean? Like Boston calls me probably once every few weeks just to check in. He's a hey, I just want to see how you doing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 mama, hey, mama. I was just, I was just checking you guys, just checking in on you, just wanting you know that you know, like, um, and those like moments are just I live for them. You know, they're they're great because they didn't used to be like that for these guys. You know, they didn't have that sometimes, and I get. The opportunity and RJ gets the opportunity to fill these voids, and yet they end up filling me in return, mm-hmm. and they last. Um, after you know, the, after you have that relationship, starting to build that relationship with them, in the midst of having that relationship, you've got to make sure that you're showing them a persistent faith. If you want to have that great youth ministry, you build the relationship with them, then you've got to make sure that you're showing them a persistent faith. Once you have the relationship with somebody and then they see how fake you are, how does that make sense? You don't you don't spread the word of God by that. You don't bring people closer to a relationship with God whenever they see uh, you being a hypocrite with things. Whenever you get close with somebody, you should be able to show them how how faithful you are by every little thing that you do. Not just a, not just a, hey, we're going to have that structured devotional right now. We're going to have this study right now. And we're going to be having cross chats right now. And then, with the, and then on Saturday, we are going to have the event. And then we're going to have a little devotional afterwards. Now stick around. If you want to go to heaven, you got to stay for the devotional. That's not it. But when the people come over and have the relationship, that's a little bit of it. Yeah. That is not, yeah, that, that's a portion of it. But where they really get to see the love of God and God being active in your life is when they see your walk with Him. And that is a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour kind of thing. They don't do that whenever you're not involved in their life. But you've got to make sure that you're showing them the right things. So you have to have that persistent faith. Yeah, I think um, just ask yourself, what are the teenagers seeing in me? Am I am I bringing the loss to Christ? Am I inviting people around? Or do I ask them what I'm not willing to do myself? 
you know, teens are looking, and you guys were there, and I was definitely there. Teens are looking for any excuse in their days of rebellion to avoid God's truth from their life. And they're going to use you. They're either going to use you to aid them in their rebellion, or they're going to use you to aid them in their salvation. Yeah. Um, Do they have the, are they, is it, are you expressing an example to them or an exception? Are you trying to be exceptional? I try to, I try to think about that all the time, even when it comes to our Sunday services or anything that I'm doing in my life. Man, when people watch me, are they seeing an example of what they should be like or are they seeing an exception? Are they seeing somebody who thinks, well, since I'm in this position of youth leadership or I'm in this position at the church or I've been around for decades that I don't have to do this or I don't have to do that. I want to be the one that is always able to be looked at as the example. And, and that's, I think that's huge and instrumental in the thing that Asher was just saying. She was having, there was a connection with what she said between being the example and having salvation. We follow the example of Christ to become an example of Christ here on the world. Make sure that you're doing that so that you can harbor uh, salvation for the youth. You don't do that on the flip side. And I think with that, just remember, they're watching your marriage, you know, and man, did they watch ours. They watched it on the good days, and they watched it on the really bad days. You know, uh, they watch your parenting, because a lot of them don't know what that looks like. So whenever they get to, you know, especially kids who have not grown up in the church, they don't know what to do when they become a husband or a wife or have kids. They're going to watch what you did, and they're going to take that with them. They're going to watch your compassion for people. They're going to watch your passion and your zeal for Christ. Um, and here's the cool thing about teenagers is they're not looking for perfection. They, that's not what you have to be at all. In fact, like they just want you to be authentic and faithful. You know. And so whenever they look at you, it's okay to mess up, and it's okay to be like, Okay, for instance, I hate to make a story, but one time I got mad and I was acting crazy for a second. And which time? I, one time. And I got mad. One time. And I, I like thought to myself, I'm gonna drop kick this wall. And I had a flip flop on. Like I was mad at RJ, who's in the other, and I was like, Oh, you make me feel crazy. You know, whatever. And like my foot, like with the flip flop, went through the wall, and I was like, Oh no. You know, like and he's in the other room, and he like could hear, it, and I was like. Oh man, there's a hole, and like it's in the hallway, so I can't put a vase in front of it. I can't like anything. I was there's literally no picture. You can't hang a picture I down there. The it's yeah. a foot off the I bottom went, of the I floor. Tried. And I was looking for the long pictures, and I literally was like picking drywall above the ground, trying to pull it back up. And I just, you know, whatever. And he's in the other room. He's like, "What'd you do, dingling?" And I was like, "Uh, I knocked a hole in the wall." This man left that hole in the wall, did not patch it for like a good solid two months, just so <laughs> right, that when people man. walked yeah. in, yeah, longer just so. And RJ go, what happened to your wall? <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, I don't know, flip wall under you. Whatever. So I'm not fixing it until everybody this, sees it. It sounds funny, but it's so very true. And here's the thing: like each time, I got to be like, I lost my temper, and I kicked a hole in the wall. Surprise, surprise! I'm imperfect. You know, like I'm sorry. Like that's not who I should be. Um, and there's there was lots of times too. Whenever Ashley and I would be. Uh, extremely happy and joyful together and the kids see that but then there was also those times whenever we were in uh intense arguments you know kind of like flip-flop yeah yeah flip-flop you know you know arguments and i vividly remember jess and and aaron and jimmy and ben and uh you know boston they'd be sitting in the living room like and and we're like in the back bedroom 
you know, having a heated discussion, and we come out, and everything is like, everything's silent. Eyes are just like this. And we're fine by this point, but they're like this. Like, I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> should I leave? Should I, what, should I even listen? Should I take the kids and go somewhere? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, gosh, I don't want them to see this. I don't want them to, I, why are you acting this way? Why are you, why are you acting that way? And... Those are all teachable well, moments. Yes, and they, they, got, to, they moments, got to see that yeah. just because we get in a fight doesn't mean it's going to stay like that. We were able to forgive each other. They got to see the other aspect of that, you know, where it, it wasn't violent. They see you okay, be humble. They see you apologize. They see you change. Yeah, they see you change in that. And I think that's really, really crucial um, in letting your kids see the faithful moments. They had to watch RJ grieve the loss of his father and see his faithfulness in that when he didn't understand why. You know, and... So it's not always hard times. Sometimes it's sad. You know, sometimes they need to see you sad. Sometimes they need to see you overjoyed. And all of those things are okay as long as you're bringing it back around to God's faithfulness. Um, I'm actually going to read a little portion out of uh, Jimmy's little testimony that he sent me. And he said this. One of the biggest things that stuck out was that RJ was a grown man and he was invested in every teen that walked in the door. That does not happen in my community. Men don't stick around. I remember thinking... Why were these people doing this for me? They picked me up, even though I lived 30 minutes away, fed me, and after a while, basically, let me live with them. After sticking around, I remember the littlest things meaning the most to me. Getting to do life and see that these people weren't just putting on a front for church. Seeing Ashley and RJ fight it out, also in a godly way, letting me be a big brother to their children, teaching me through godly discipline, taking me to the ocean for the first time. Those are the things that help me stay anchored to Christ to this day. Lessons they not... They may not even know I was ever listening to. I learned just from getting to be around them and other teens fighting to be a different light in a dark world. Um, so, and I don't know if I could say it any better than that. Um, just having the honor to be able to be forgiven when I'm not enough, but also love them through and teach them through it those, those times. You're always being watched. Always. Um, yeah, and you can also revert to 2 Timothy 3, you know, 10 through 12, where Paul says, I set this example I, I was this for you, Timothy. Watch my faith. Watch my life. Your kids should be able to look at you and say what what Paul was able to say to Timothy um, and be more faithful because of it. And then that also goes into this, providing transforming activities, because activities are important. Um, I think just coming up with out-of-the-box appealing things, um, things that I think of. Am I supposed to be talking? I don't know. I don't either. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Hey, I'm going to keep going. Go ahead. I can. I got a little something Something that I'll say okay. afterwards. Um, I think of um, just camps and retreats and things that we've done. We we have a, like I said, a, like a little group of, you know, teen leaders. Um, we oversee the junior high ministry as well. There's a lot, quite a bit of kids um, and a lot that goes on. But one thing that we, we do is we really try to do our events very well, our camps. Some of the camps that we have done, we sit around months and months and months before camp, and we try and come up with with a theme. And we do that based on two things. One, is it really appealing? Is it something that kids are going to look at, not even if they're just Christians, but of the world and be like, I could do that. Like, that sounds cool. And also, how can we connect that to a depth, to deepening the relationship with God? If we don't have both of those elements, we don't run with that with that idea. Um, we did um, the Walking Dead for camp one year. Ultimate Fighter. Um, the Walking Dead. You know, little. Th- I mean, even little things with. Um, we did a banquet night, and we did um, like everything they had. They dressed up as zombies for that night. 
And they ate, we made them eat with their hands. Barbecued ribs, bashed, red colored mashed potatoes, like everything, you know, things like that. We did, uh, it, was, like, it was gross, she says. Um, um, but it, they remember it. And, you know, even we did Epic. We um, did, you know, we did the greatest stories ever told. We actually did a Hunger Games thing where they went out into the woods. And we, like, each day had a different thing. Harry Potter thing. Anything that was... We kind of, we did. We had counselors around, we kind of come on. And at the, end, at the end of each 30 minutes to an hour, we let off the fireworks, letting them know how many people, like the oh, king, man, had, I forgot you know, that it had, it had, yeah. That was good. <laughs> so like, that, was, that was good. We came up with some good ideas. Um, we do uh, events. We got these bubble soccer suits. I don't know if you guys have ever seen them. We are not a church with a lot of money. We work on no, but like no budget. What we get is invested from the teenagers doing fundraising from our youth leaders paying like we bought these bubble soccer suits not to like two darn warm but we wouldn't have had them but we got a good tax return so we bought these (laughs) bubble soccer suits for whatever and they've been one of the best investments we've been able to use them for outreach you know activities we've done crazy things with those with those suits um we do a thing called couch wars and you guys can come and talk to us or you know whatever we'll give you our information if there's any camp themes we have completely lined out lessons activities Camp themes I can send to you that you guys can use. We'd be more than happy to help you with those things. Um, but in doing that, just taking the time, remember, you you got to make it appealing, but you also got to deepen their faith. It's not just, you know, one thing or the other. With the activities, with every activity that you do, you have to make sure that uh, there's a direction behind it, that you're actually giving them an opportunity to change and transform, pointing them back to the Word of God. But I think with every activity that we do, I always find ourselves... Uh, on Monday nights, we have what we call our zone meeting. And when Ashley says that there's different youth leaders under, you know, within the ministry helping along with us, we're talking 20 other people, you know, 10 other couples uh, with their families also that help serve in the youth ministry. And they all have their small group and they all have their cross chats, whether that be at the Interbelt Church or the Woodsville Church. And when we meet on Mondays, after we have a major event, a camp or some sort of devotional or whatever it may be, we always do an, an evaluation to find out, was this even effective or what are we doing this for? The purpose, the fun activity, the purpose and the evaluation. If there's things we need to change, we need to adjust it. Also a big part of that is getting your church to help back you in those things. There's no way we could pull off the activity in the camps we did. Honestly, if it wasn't for our campus ministry. Our campus ministry and it works greatly in two ways. One, it connects you know, the the campus comes in, they help us do a lot of the details, the work, so we're able to focus on really connecting with the kids. But also it connects them to a campus ministry where they look at these older guys and they're like, and they're like older a little bit. And they're serving. And they're like, they're cool. Like, I want, what is, what's a part of this? I want to be a part of that. And then you have Reggie, the, Reggie comes Gosh, every year. And if he, it wasn't for Reggie we, being at camps and retreats. We couldn't do these things. No way. We, we have a church that we, that backs us tremendously. So if you can get the church, on, your church on board, by all means, that is one of the best things you can do in helping them serve, bring in cookies, bring in whatever, helping with rides. A presence. Just a presence. A presence of, uh, of a service. You know, we have the sponsors for those things, but we don't, the youth ministry don't, doesn't just need the money. They also need the people invested in it, serving and helping along, along that way. And we have, that's great that we have in our adults. Um, next, if you want to be able to have that transforming youth ministry, uh, you have to pray without ceasing. Real quick, I'll give you two passages and then we'll kind of, you know, talk through them. First Thess- Thessalonians chapter five, uh, verse 16 through 18. It says, uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
also in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We leave me. Okay, I'll talk about myself. I struggle with having prayer uh, involved in my ministry all the time. And it's like having an opportunity to tap into a strength that is beyond mine but never using it. That's what you're doing when you're not praying. And that's what happens whenever you don't get to. That's that's what happens whenever you neglect that prayer in your life. You're not allowing God's strength to be involved in your ministry. So you have to pray without ceasing. Well, I think at the end of the day, too, and we'll be done just in a couple minutes, but remembering that God himself doesn't make you follow him and make you love him. And we could do all the right things, and we've learned this in youth ministry. Youth ministry is one of the most heartbreaking ministries, I think, that you can be in. Um, but we could do everything right. And at the end of the day, we can't make these kids continue to love and follow God. Um, that's up to them. And sometimes the only outlet that you're going to have, the only final resources that you've prayed for them, and you've prayed for their hearts, and you've prayed for their circumstance, and if they've left, you've prayed for their return. Um, and then our last thing, and we'll be, we'll be done, is you got to send them out. you got to let go. <laughs> um, I think just one thing we really push with our kids is evangelism within their ministry. You bring your friends. Your friends need what you have. It's not about being filled and not filling others. You, The whole basis of Jesus' ministry, the final words of his, was to go and make disciples. If our youth ministries are not reproducing from within, you really got to start looking and questioning, do I have authentic disciples in my youth ministry? Um so take, take these things and, see, and pushing them and reproducing um, and doing those things. And then I think just with four years, that's all you get. And, and they go quick and they're done and it's over. Um, for, you know, we still have those relationships, but it's different. You know, you don't get to see them all the time. I like mourn every time the senior graduates. Like, I'm, but I'm so happy because they're going to this great campus ministry yeah. and I know they're going to be taken care of. And then inside I'm like... Oh, they're out of my house. I can't keep them, you know, wrapped up in my closet like a weirdo. Because <laughs> um, I love them. Um, and, and that reminded me of this, and we'll close out on this. Um, in 3 John uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. When I look at Jimmy's, they come from abandoned father, you know, abandoned homes where the father was not present and left. And he didn't have an idea of what hope looked like or being a father or a husband looked like. And now that kid is leading our church plan out, you know, and going back into the inner city or on the streets that one at one point he would have become a product of. But no, he's changing them. Um, no greater joy. Um, Eliza, who was a church girl for a lot of her life, but also came from some brokenness, who was insecure and felt inadequate, and is one of the most talented, beautiful people I know, is now leading a New Heights tutoring mentor, mentoring program at the inner city for young kid for young kids who don't they feed them every week, they take care of them. She's leading those things. Um, I look at Ben, who was an outcast. He didn't feel worthy, and he's one of the most intelligent, gentle giants you'll ever know. Um, and now he's faithfully, you know, and serving in our campus ministry. And we have Aaron, you know, who his parents and his family ditched out on God's plan for the life. And Aaron is the only one in the state stayed faithful to those things and wants to wants to do youth ministry, you know, someday. You got you got Boston. You know? Phone calls. <laughs> Something good's coming. Pay attention. <laughs> 
chemistry, and it didn't always click. And yet, nope. you know what? But he remembered things. He went to Carbondale for a couple years. And he came back years. from college, and he got he got it back together. He remembered that at the root of all things, no matter what had happened, that he was loved. He was loved mm-hmm. by God, and he was loved by us. And now he's he's studying the Bible with people on this church plant. Um, Melissa, she was abused sexually, grew up in a Baptist church, didn't feel worth anything. She's our children's ministry leader at our church now. Um, and she works in the camps ministry, and she's a mentor to my niece. Like, she, my niece wants to be like her, and I'm okay with that. Um, at one time, I would not have been okay with that, because she was crazy, and she'd tell you that. You know, and I had, and, and, and Darren's, I remember Darren standing up in front of the youth ministry one time in high school and saying, you know those, know those weeds? Slabs of concrete. Yeah, the concrete where the weeds stick up out of it, and everybody's trying to get rid of the weed that's in the concrete, like, you know, and spraying stuff on it. He said, I feel like the weed in the concrete. And Darren is a talented, good young man who all his father only put stock in his sports ability and his athletic abilities. And that's all that he felt value in. He didn't even feel value in that. And he's been faithful. You know, he's still here. And when a lot of his friends left, um, youth ministry is one of the hardest things, honestly, I said it once to say it again, hardest things that you guys will ever do and you'll ever invest in. And yet it's one of the most rewarding things that you're ever going to experience in your life. Just stick to it and don't, do not give up. That's all we got. Okay. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, God, I don't want to come to you and praise you for uh, working through uh, the both of us. And uh, Father, really just uh, allowing us an opportunity to serve you and serve the youth in this world that uh, that have to deal with so many uh, more it seems, I don't know, more complicated things than what maybe I had to deal with. I guess the problems are problems where that was in the past, the present, or going to be in the future, Father. But regardless of what um, is going on, there's always a power within you. We just need to tap into it. And I believe if we can start with some of these things that we talked about today, uh, that you'll be able to grow amazing youth ministries ministries throughout the country and throughout the world. Father, help us to be a pathway uh, that you can work through in the world and in the lost, uh, and specifically in the youth. Father, thank you for your love, and I praise in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.